Oh, New York ain't New York anymore. How I miss those old pals of mine. How did a high school hockey team go from being the very worst in the country to the top 5%? And what lessons can we apply to our own lives from that historic turnaround? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the History Author Show. I'm your host, Dean Carianis, and it's so great to have all of you back with us this week. A special tip of the Team USA hockey hat, by the way, to everybody watching today's time travel adventure via our YouTube channel. Please do go and subscribe there to get more of a classic history channel documentary feel from these conversations. Plus, you can read my columns in the Washington Times to get my analysis of current events in light of history. And by the way, I'd recommend one column in particular to you hockey fans out there. It's titled Capitals and Rangers Blood on the Ice Tells Cold Truth About Justice. In this episode, our time machine does indeed step onto that ice, no blood of course, to meet the lowly Ann Arbor Huron High School River Rats. Our player turned coach is best-selling author John U. Bacon. He rescued this team with a tradition of losing so ingrained they hadn't won a game in a year and a half. Now, even if you're lukewarm about sports, don't touch that dial. This is a book not just for sports fans. You don't have to be able to follow the puck or know what icing is or offside. You can just read it and learn so much and really be inspired by the underlying story. The book is called Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team. John U. Bacon teaches at Northwestern and the University of Michigan. He has written several New York Times bestsellers, including Three and Out, Rich Rodriguez, and the Michigan Wolverines. Fourth and Long, The Fight for the Soul of College Football, and End Zone, The Rise, Fall, and Return of Michigan Football. But as I mentioned, he's not just about sports. The last time that we spoke together, and you can find this conversation in our archives, it was about Coach Bacon's book, The Great Halifax Explosion, a World War I story of treachery, tragedy, and extraordinary heroism. Visit our guest at letthemleadbybacon.com for more, or you can find him on Twitter and Facebook. Okay, now that we've laced up our skates and tied down our jerseys, let's join John U. Bacon whose turnaround of the worst program in the country starts with three little words. Let them lead. And here we are with John U. Bacon. He's joining us to chat about his latest book, Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team. Welcome back to the show, Coach. Hey, good to be back again. Quite a range here. We've been on your show, Halifax Explosion, right. to college football, and now to high school hockey. So... You're the rare host who can handle all that. <laughs> a broad, broad area that we try to cover here because I just love talking about things I love. Hockey is certainly one of those, but other things were great as well that you've written about. You're the one who has to write it. I just have to read the book. It's easy to read a lot of different kinds of books. 
In this case, we share a love of hockey. It's an exciting game, but it's also unique. It's different than the other major sports, and it teaches unique lessons. That's the topic of your book. And if people are out there and they're not hockey fans like you and I, I wanted to start off asking you to make your quick pitch to them. If they can't follow the puck out there and they think maybe they won't be able to follow the story in Let Them Lead, Explain to them why Let Them Lead is for them just as much as somebody who knows all the stats, has all the jerseys. Nice, nice parallel there, by the way, the, the, from the puck to the following the game itself in the book. The good news is you don't have to know a single thing about hockey to follow this book. It's a book about leadership, and it's a human interest story. Um, it's now We're now talking to Hollywood. We're finishing the script. And as my co-author of the script, Jim Bernstein, he did D3 Mighty Ducks. He did Renaissance Man with Danny DeVito and some other good ones out there. As he said, if a sports movie is about sports, it stinks. And I'd say the same thing is true about a, a book. If a sports book is about sports, you've blown it. It's got to be about human interest and the lessons learned. It's a business book. It's being sold as a business book and being picked up that way. So don't worry about that at all. You, have, you don't have to know anything at all about high school hockey. All you have to know about is uh, what it's like to turn a, a program around, an organization around, uh, and build a team. Those are the two main things you'll be tracking. It's something we all deal with. If we're, if we're leading any kind of team, even in a family dynamic, you have that. And you don't come at this from a sense where the players have awe of you or the parents or the school. In fact, you come at it where, please tell me you were a goalie because you never scored a goal, right? We have the same number of goals, in fact, which is, which is kind of nice. But So you don't come at it with that oh, hey, this was a star coming back to the team and he's going to coach us and make us great. You come at it from a perspective of, well, I think I can do this, but it's such a thankless job. Here's a team that, that hasn't won a game in a year and a half. They're 0-22-3. and what, what got into your head that made you say, I'm going to step into that hornet's nest and I'm going to take over this team and I think I can do some good, not just, not just get wins, but good for these kids. Well, if anyone out there has been, in, been put in charge of a unit or a division uh, or an organization where you're set up for failure, well, read this book because that's what this was. Uh, the teams you point out, Dean, was 0, 22, and 3. For you uh, non-sports fans out there, the 0 is where the wins go, okay? So uh, probably dead last out of 1,000 teams nationwide. So that's where we were in Ann Arbor. Huron was the high school, one of two in Ann Arbor. Um, and then who do they pick to coach him? As you already said, the worst player in school history. This is not false modesty. I can prove it empirically. The fewest goals in 86 games in a hearing uniform on the varsity three years. Total goals, zero. And I played right wing. So that's, that's a tough one to swallow right there. So, Did you at least but, have a shot on goal? Maybe hit a couple of posts? Oh, I, I had one. I had one. Uh, sorry, two pipes and a crossbar. And I still remember them. So yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> you hear the yeah. ring in your head. I can tell you the, the opponents even. How, how pathetic is that 40 years later? So uh, worst team, a team with no wins, a coach with no goals. Yes, that's the combination we're looking for. <laughs> and as you pointed yeah. out, they did, they did not want me either. It, the job paid 5,000 bucks. It's, it's, it's uh, charity, basically. In the search committee interview process, they've got six people on the committee. And the vote was four to two for the other guy. So at that point, it should have been over, right? I mean, he won, that's that. And the four against me, by the way, were the athletic director, my former algebra teacher, a friend of mine, but she voted for the other guy, uh, her secretary, a parent, and the incoming captain. These are not four votes you want against you. For me were another parent and the longtime trainer of the team, Rod Sorge. 
They would not take no for an answer and just kept hammering the other four until one of them, the athletic director, my friend, finally switched her vote 3-3 and the principal picked me because I'd gone to Huron before. He didn't know anything about hockey. Uh, so when I was named, the parents and the players were quite upset. So now you got zero wins, zero goals, and nobody wants you. So go ahead. Good luck. <laughs> well, you said something in there. Not Now we have an idea of what you were up against, but also you mentioned jokingly about, I remember hitting those crossbars and I still remember it. And I'm picturing you hearing that sound of the clank off the crossbar 40 years later. And the thing about let them lead is these are lessons for young people that young people learn in high school that we all learn when that's why we call them formative years. And 40 years later, you'll remember that lesson. And that's something that you put in the minds of every player and you get them to learn lessons that completely rewrite their their style of play. And then that bleeds into their rest of their life and improves that. One question I know you ask interviewers along those lines is, who's your favorite teacher? So I wanted to turn that question back on you and ask, who are the mentors that you followed, that you learned from as a young bacon bit, so to speak, when you were just a, a mite on ice? The lessons that you could then apply to this turnaround in Let Them Lead. Uh, i tell you what, uh, if I've got one skill, it's the ability to uh, identify and attract great mentors. And I've been doing that my whole life. Um, my parents are very good parents. They're still around. But I got a lot of surrogate dads, surrogate coaches, and so on. One of them was Mr. Puttick, uh, Ron Puttick, my fifth grade teacher. He's in the book, quoted. Uh, it's fair. We, uh, we keep it fair, fun, and we get it done. That's not a bad approach. Uh, first guy I really met who really raised our bars for how high our standards could be. Um, he was great. Ross Child, still around also, my first uh, hockey coach, great mentor. He believed that hockey was a vehicle to teach ethics. Now, it's not often confused. I don't think hockey has given its reputation as a, as a great vehicle for ethics. Uh, maybe the monastery would be a better place, uh, places like that. But, uh, but no, he, he believed that. And, and now I believe that. So guys like that made a huge difference in my life. And of course, my main mentor in this book is a guy named Al Clark at Culver Academies, middle of nowhere, Indiana. <clears throat> Starts a program in 76 with an outdoor rink and 12 guys who never skated before, bottom skates in South Bend. Third year, there are state champs in Indiana. They're state champs for eight straight years until Indiana says, quit bringing your A team. By then, they've got a B team. The B team wins a state title a few years. They said, no, no, no more teams from you guys at all. So, and he's produced 25 NHL draft picks, nine NHL players, six Olympians, middle of nowhere. And he's the Phi Beta Kappa math department chairman. Very unusual guy. And I took the job with everything against me. You know, my record, their record, my reception. He said, you know, I said, okay, what do I do here? I, I need help. And by the way, that's the first big thing. A new leaders, whether you're old or young, it's got nothing to do with it, I've noticed. Uh, but new leaders, the bad ones make a colossal, very common mistake right away. They think that they've got to be all-knowing, all-powerful, asking for help is weakness, listening to your people is weakness. No, that guy is going down. He's going down fast and hard, and no one's going to catch him. The first thing you do when you're named to anything is get all the help you can. Call all the 911s you know. And I had Bo Schembechler, the football coach at Michigan. I had Herb Brooks, the 1980 Olympic uh, gold medal coach, of course, Miracle on Ice. And I had Al Clark, uh, no, no small list right there. So I asked Al, okay, what do I do? And this is the crucial advice. He said, the first thing you've got to do is to make it special to play for Huron. And smart Alec Medine, I say, oh, well, we're already the worst team in America. That's pretty special. No, no, no. <laughs> and then he says, uh, the easiest way 
to make it special is to make it hard. And that is the exact opposite of everyone else's advice they're giving me. They're saying, even to, even 20 years ago when I was coaching, <clears throat> this generation is soft, you know, millennials and so on. They don't take coaching. They can't do hard things. They quit. They're selfish, entitled, and so on. And this is the worst thing in America, so you've got to figure it's probably true about these guys. And instead of giving them fancy uniforms and fancy sweats right away and new locker room, we got in the track and we got in the weight room. One week after school got out on June 28, 2000, and to find out who's in and who's not. And I said, you're trying to join the hardest working high school hockey team in the state of Michigan. And out of 180 teams, that's saying something. And we actually were. And every guy on that team threw up on the track at some point that summer. I did too. So did my assistant coach, Mike Lapridge. Um, and not one player quit. That is the stunning thing. So the softest team in America, the worst team in America, you raise the bar and all of a sudden they're inspired. And you think about it, it makes sense. Navy SEALs, those guys get paid $54,000 on average. That's, that's crap pay by any standards, I think, for a job, but for the hardest job probably in the world. And they take 6%. The Peace Corps takes one out of six applicants and you get paid a few hundred dollars a month in the Peace Corps. So how do they do it? Because they're selling a mission. They're selling the hard. Instead of apologizing for being hard or denying that it's hard, they're saying, absolutely, it's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. Now, who wants in? And you sell it that way, and all of a sudden, it's cool. Look, working fast food, is there any cachet that goes with that? No, because anyone can do it. They'll take anyone, and anyone can do it. You can walk away whenever you want. So it has no cachet whatsoever. Navy SEALs, you don't walk into the Navy SEALs. You don't walk into the Peace Corps, and you don't walk into my team. Uh, so that's how we set it up. You say that early on. You say a team leader has to create high expectations immediately. And I thought that that was something good to mention because a lot of people, they, they might think, well, you have to slip in there and just massage it and not really push them. And hey, this is just how it's done here. Why do you advise hitting the ice hard instead of warming up to it and taking it slow, especially since we do hear just what you just said that, well, kids today, they're not going to react to that. You can't, you can't give them real goals. You can't even grade them now in some places. <laughs> I hear all the complaints and I teach also at the University of Michigan. So I know what they're talking about. I see some of that behavior. You're not crazy, uh, but you can't tolerate it. You can't, you don't want those guys also. Look, will this work with everybody? Probably not. You don't want everybody. So that's one thing we established right away. Um, no, you got to set the bar right there right away. You die right at the deep end because they will not go from the shallow end when it's cold, you know, inch by inch uh, into the deep end. It doesn't work. You jump in right off the three meter board and you go in head first. That's how you, and there better be water. So uh, <laughs> that's how you do that one. And look, I mean, uh, Marine boot camp. you hop off the bus, that guy's in your face the second you hop off the bus. Officer and gentleman all that stuff. That's how it works. Uh, here are the standards. So a crucial point you've already basically gotten to is, it's one of my chapters, be patient with results. If you're the worst team in America, you ain't going to be the best team in America in, in one week. So be patient with results, but impatient with behaviors and separate the two. All right. Results, performance, that's going to come over time. That's going to come and go, frankly. Profits, all right, wins and losses, whatever you're measuring, ratings in the radio game, it goes up and down. But behavior cannot go up and down. You show up for your radio position, of course, on time, every time, ready to work and do a good job. And that is not negotiable. And I explained to my guys that, look, a kindergartner knows how to show up on time, dressed appropriately for his day's work. We can't handle that. So I don't care if you're in high school or not. I don't care. I don't care about anything. All right. Workout starts at three o'clock and you're here at 245. 
That's what we're going to do here. And they did it. And they did it with enthusiasm. The enthusiasm is something that anybody who's leading a group, and I can hopefully see people leaning in here to the microphone and saying, wow, because I have young people on my team, or I have even older people on my team, and I can't really get them to shuffle in. And I thought, well, being flexible with the time would be better. And it's, and if you have structure, it's so important. And I come from an animal background, right? And we see things in animals and it's not an insult to people, but this is why we, this is why we test theories on animals. This is why Pavlov used a dog, right? Ring the bell. You know that if you have a pattern, you know, what's expected of you, you do it. And for you though, you have to look ahead. You mentioned you go 022 and three, or they do before you get there. And then though you, they start to see results. They go on the river rats, this 14 game winning streak. And to me, our, our, I thought our third, oh, sorry. Year, our third year, third year. Okay. Yeah. First year, there's no 14 game winning streak. Right. Uh, right. There's a 10 game losing streak in the first year, but <laughs> we got but, there. Yeah. The, 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 point that I wanted to make about the winning streak was how do you ensure that when things do turn around for this team that was easily satisfied with one win, right? One a 14 game winning streak had to feel like they were winning the Stanley cup. How did you ensure that when things start to improve, that it fuels a hunger for more success rather than complacency or by them was already just because you'd done that hard groundwork. There was no chance. Those guys were going to say, eh, that's good enough. I'll, I'll sleep in today and be late to practice. Well, you raised a great point. And look, honestly, in some ways, the first year, uh, one thing's easier about turning things around is it's more fun to attack the castle than it is to defend the castle. When you're attacking the castle, you don't care who else is attacking the castle. They got to look at you. All right. They're playing defense. You're playing offense. Once you are in the castle and you're the guy that you're the guy to beat, anybody can attack you. The whole valley can attack you. And it's a little scarier. And it's hard to stay as motivated attacking you when you're in the castle and when you're attacking the castle, that part's true. So I'll get to that one in a little bit. But before we get there, when you know it's sinking in, it's when, and Al also said this, Al Clark, he said, um, if you make it so hard to make your team, that whoever makes your team knows that not everybody would be willing to do the things you had to do to make the team, then they know it's special. And then they, with a little guidance, will reinforce your culture your, themselves. And it's true. So we're on the track in late August in Ann Arbor. And it rains that morning in cats and dogs, kind of like New Jersey. And the sun comes out, it's 93 degrees, blazing hot. So our weird weather. And so much so the steam, Dean, the steam is coming off the track. And I said, gentlemen, look at the field goal post on the football field. Couldn't see them. They're wiggling. It's the air so, so humid. And I said, that's right. It's the hottest damn day of the year. But we're not going to cry about it or deny it. We're going to embrace it. We're going to brag about it. And we're going to break every record we've got in this track today. Who's with me? And they're like, yeah, because, you know, Navy SEALs, they don't whine about the weather. They brag about the weather. Big difference. And one new guy, freshman, grumbles something. And my captain, not me, the captain who voted against me initially, and he's great captain, Mike Henry, he turns to the kid and says, hey, you play for Huron, and it's harder over here. And that's when you know, yes, that's what I want to hear. That's, that's when they're absorbing it themselves. And then they call your bluff, like I said, about results versus um, behavior. We only had two rules in the team, work hard and support your teammates. And this is my, my long way of getting to your third year question. Work hard, support your teammates. That's it. If you're doing those two things, I'm happy. And if you're not doing those two things, I'm not happy. It's called loose tight management. What you care about, you care about 100%. And you don't care about anything at all. So anything else at all. So that's how you do it. So 
We win our first three games incredibly. We therefore have tied Dean in one week. The total number of wins from the previous two seasons combined. So that's a good week for us, obviously. As my dad said, when you're on the floor, you can't fall out of bed. So he was right about that. Uh, but then we got to play almighty Trenton. Trenton has won 14 state titles. In your backyard, Andy Green, the longtime captain of the New Jersey Devils, he was the captain before the year before I started at Huron. He's still in the NHL with the Islanders at age 38, played 1,000 games. That's how good Trenton is. Uh, USA Today once called them the best high school hockey team in the state. So many batters hanging down. I told my players, don't look up, but it never worked. They always looked up. They always freaked out. Final score is 13 to 2. And this is not football, folks. This is hockey. They come in increments of one. So it's one, pucks in the back of your net, they celebrate, band plays. Two, puck in the back of your net, they celebrate, band plays. I've, I've, got, I've got 11 more of these. So by the end of the night, I knew their fight song. It was not good. So after the game, our guys are pretty upset. They've been working hard for four and a half months. And now they got smoked worse than they had the year before. They're throwing gloves, they're throwing sticks. They're saying, you know, hey, it's worse than last year. And I said, hey, stop. I said, I saw the game and I'm not going to spin it for you. I mean, that's the reality. That, that is some games you can say the score is not indicative of where we are. Not that one. They, they were 13 and we were two. That's, that's how big the gap was at that point. I said, we got our butts handed to us on a silver platter. I saw it. All right, but that's not what matters. What matters are our two values. What are they? They mumble. Work hard, support your teammates. No, no, no. We start yelling it back and forth. We've been yelling it all summer on the track, all fall. They, it is in their bones. So we're yelling it back and forth. And I said, hey, did you do those two things tonight? And they think about it. And they actually, we did. They worked hard the entire night. They didn't coast to the bench once. They didn't take a shift off down 13 to 2 in the last three minutes. Uh, they didn't point any fingers at each other. They, they supported the goalie. They were positive. I said, that's right. It will never be harder to pursue our two principles, work hard and support your teammates, than it was tonight. And you did it 100% in both categories. That is heroic. They didn't have to do that. You did. And you pulled it off. And I guarantee you, if you keep doing those two things, all right, we're going to get better and better and better, I promise you. We're playing those bastards again in two months. And that started the 10-game losing streak, I grant you, but kept getting closer and closer and closer to all these teams, a few one-goal games in there. And we played Trenton again, and it's 7-1. to one. And in the third period, the score was 1-1, one to one, and, the, and the shots were 7-6 to six for us. They didn't know about that. They probably didn't care either. And I went to my guys and said, look, we're getting better. We're getting better. This is proof. Third period. We finished with seven wins, the most improved team in school history. The second year, we finished with 16 wins. So we break the record for two years in a row for the most improved team in school history. You got to be pretty bad, Dean, to start out to break that, break that, be most improved two years in a row. So now your third year, we're 17, four and five. We got a 14 game winning streak. We're number four in the state. And by the way, I've caught not one player from the zero, 22 and three team. They're still playing important roles in the team. Uh, we've not just swapped them out. Um, 14-game winning streak. Now what do you do? The same thing. Two principles. Work hard, support your teammates. That keeps you, when you're losing, from getting discouraged. It keeps you, when you're winning, from getting cocky. So I don't care what the paper says. I don't care what our ranking is. I don't care what our record is. All right? Are we working hard today? Are we supporting our teammates today? If we're doing those two things, I'll accept whatever happens next. And the key is to be a value, not victory-based program. Don't be chasing profits, have principles. If you have principles, the profits are a happy byproduct. It's kind of like trying to be happy. I've seen people try to be happy. It doesn't work. Happiness is a bizarre byproduct of doing other good things like reading a good book, for example, um, exercising, eating right, being around people you love. 
uh, pursuing work that matters to you. In there somewhere will be happiness, but you can't just chase happiness. You can't just chase profits. You can't just chase wins. Uh, it'll be elusive. And also, if you're a win at all cost program or company and you lose, what do you have? You have nothing. You've already sold all your values and all your integrity and whatever you stand for. That's all been sold for a few wins, and now you don't have the wins. So when we lost a game, we always knew who we were anyway. We defined ourselves. Our record did not define us. How's that? It rem it rem <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Isn't everyone out there inspired by John U. Bacon and want to go pick up Let Them Lead? Because you look at it from two sides, depending on your age, whether you're young, you look at it as maybe this guy inspires me. If you're older and trying to motivate people, you can use it that way. You reminded me of a line you have in Let Them Lead. And the line is, just because you weren't the leading scorer didn't mean you couldn't lead. And that, that seems like what you were saying right there. It's, it, it's a light bulb remark when you say it, because players have to buy into that and they have to realize I'm contributing. And it reminds me of Martin Luther King. He gives a speech and he says, even if it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, do sweep so well that somebody walks down and says, wow, this, this street is so clean. This must be the greatest. And that that's the greatest street, sweet street sweeper ever. And that's one of the things here. You, you could be the fourth line defenseman who plays a couple of shifts, like the movie Rudy, right? Why do we watch the movie exactly. Rudy? Because you could be that guy, but you're dedicated to it. And that's your role. And you could just be the guy who does buck up the leading score and says, hey, that's okay. You put one in your own, in our net by mistake, trying to clear the puck out, but that's okay. That's contributing. And I, I love that about that because happiness is something that requires effort. That's why there's books like Let Them Lead. Nobody needs to read a book on failing, right? The, the book is about how to, how to succeed. Oh, how to lead. <laughs> I wanted to switch to a gentleman that you know well, and that uh, people who are hockey fans know well. This is uh, Doc Emmert's book. I interviewed Doc a few months ago about his book, as you can see here, it's called Off Mike, how a kid from basketball crazy Indiana became America's NHL voice. He's also been inducted into the USA Hockey Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. Sports Illustrated named him the greatest sportscaster of all time. So he really knows of what he speaks. I asked him for a question to put to you and Doc was kind enough to respond to my texts and submit one. He said, from your extensive exposure to such victors, and he pointed out that that's the way the Wolverine fans pronounce their fight song. Bo Schembechler, who you just mentioned, Red Berenson, Lloyd Carr, and others. Was there something you brought from them, from their influence, to your first practice that helped start this road back? Absolutely. Doc is a good friend. He's the kind of guy when he's got a couple extra tickets for the uh, showcase game at the Big House NHL, of course. He called me up. God bless him. Uh, two great tickets. So, Doc, and of course, hockey is so hard to do play-by-play. -play. I think it's the hardest of all the sports. And Doc is the best. He's phenomenal. So, uh, yeah, uh, especially when you're on the floor, you can't fall out of bed. That's a quote from my dad. That's the name of the first chapter. It's basically, it's from Bo, Bo Schimbeckler. He said, every day you get better or you get worse. It's that simple. So when you're in a hole that deep, all right, that's all you can focus on. We're not going to, we, we don't know if we're going to win a game this year. We don't know how long that's going to take. And, and we're four months away from our first game anyway. So what do you do? Today, we got, and I said it every single time we worked out. Every day we get better or we get worse. Today we got better. Today we got better. If you're trying to lose 100 pounds, you're not going to lose it in a weekend, all right? Every week you got to lose a pound, all right? Every, you know, every week you got to get a little better, a little better, a little better. If you keep doing that, 
It's water on a rock and eventually you're gonna get there. So when you're in the long haul business, Mao Zedong, he's not a guy I admire very much for a lot of things, but he had a great line, the longest march begins with a single step. So from Bo, I got that one. From Herb Brooks, uh, later on, when we were playing Trenton, the almighty Trenton, now it's the end of uh, our second year, and we got a good team. We're 16, uh, eight and two at that point. Trenton's got a better team. They're about to be state champs again. Uh, I called up Herb Brooks, and I said, okay, Herb, this time it's not about an article. It's not about a book. This time it's about the Huron hockey team, and he loved the fact that they were called the River Rats. He thought that was hilarious. Uh, Herb and I were pretty good friends. And, uh, and I said, they're the Soviets, we're the Americans, what do I do? And he says, Johnny, with this flat Minnesota accent, just tell him this, above all, you gotta believe. If you don't believe, nothing is possible. If you do believe, anything is possible. But it comes with a catch, Dean. Just because you work hard and support your teammates and believe does not mean you're gonna win. But it does mean if you don't do those three things, you have no chance. It's like picking a lottery ticket. All right, buying the ticket does not guarantee you're going to win the lottery, but I guarantee you this, not buying a ticket, I'll guarantee you, you are not going to win the lottery. So hope, faith, belief, confidence, these are the things you have to buy or have a chance to beat these guys. And I told them what Herb said, they were on fire, and I always let, let, let up to those guys. I'd give a speech, then I'd say, seniors, your room, and I'd walk out, and they'd go nuts. It was awesome. And not just captains, but all leaders, as you point out. The score was uh, three to two, we lost, but we outshot them 30 to 27. It's a close game, great game. Their fans gave my guys a standing ovation at the end of that game, because they know that that was not the same team they saw 16 months earlier when they crushed us 13 to two. Um, and that's, and okay, so it was a heartbreaking loss and some tears. I, I walked in the locker room, I said, gentlemen, what are the first two rules of here in hockey? Echoing what I'd said after we got swamped 13 to two, we just laughed, they didn't have to answer me. Um, it's in our bones at that point. That's what it gets you. That's what it gets you. I'm proud of you. Walk out with your heads held high. This was amazing. And they did. And they got cheered in the lobby and all this other cool stuff. So Herb was right and Bo was right. Every day you get better, you get worse. And above all, you got to believe. Hockey is such a great sport for those things. If people have seen even non-hockey fans the movie miracle that's the coach here that john Bacon is referring to and that great turnaround and the strategy there is so key you don't you don't clash the best with the best it didn't work all-star nhl hockey teams couldn't beat the soviet union right top stanley cup winning teams could not beat the soviets it took that strategy took motivating those young kids the age we're talking about here with john Bacon. he is the author of let them lead unexpected lessons in leadership from America's worst high school hockey team. You can catch him often on NPR and national TV, as well as find him at letthemleadbybacon.com. He's also on social media at Twitter and Facebook. NHL Hall of Fame defenseman Brad Park writes of Let Them Lead, John U. Bacon's players are young, impressionable, and looking for direction. He takes them from nowhere by allowing them to think for themselves, by giving them purpose, and instilling basic values like hard work and loyalty to each other. John listens, learns, thinks, then acts. The sign of good management. And coach, I wanted to tell you the thing that jumped out at me beyond all the words was the exclamation point that he put at the end there did Brad Park. The sign of good management, exclamation point. You don't think of a, of a hockey player as having that, that kind of passion for something easily. You had to earn that as a writer. You give these players those directions that Brad Park mentions 
direction in their life. You forge lifelong friendships. I wanted to ask you about that. You've been in, you've been in these guys' weddings. You've you've been to their you've been in their lives in every step of the way in all these years since. And it occurred to me a lot of people say, "Oh, don't don't get too close to your players. Don't get too close to the, the people in the office. Don't 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 let any of yourself out there." And so I wanted to ask you from the perspective of let them lead and this historic turnaround. What do people who think I have to hold back? I have to not share with the players their experience i have to be up there on the mountain i can't be down there on the ice with them what what do you say to people who feel that how do you decide what that balance is doesn't work that's what i'll say in a nutshell i get the impulse and there are you're still in this case you're still the leader the ceo the division head the coach in my case uh so you can't just hang out in the locker room and be their buddies you're not going to their parties obviously, and things like this. So there is a division there, no doubt about it. But uh, for the most part, there shouldn't be too much of one. I was on the track with those guys running with them. We ran the stadium steps. I ran them with them. So did Mike Lapridge, our assistant coach. Uh, they knew that we were invested. I didn't realize how important that was to them until I wrote this book, actually. Then I got 150 pages of their memories and stories and insights. And almost all of them mentioned the fact that we were there with them doing all this stuff. When it's time to do laps, we did laps with them. So all that stuff, we were not afraid to get our hands dirty. If we're, if we're washing cars for to pay for new sweatsuits, I'm washing cars. So that matters to them a great deal. Um, that's one thing. Yeah, at the end of the day, you are the head coach. You are the division head, department head, whatever else you're working with. Um, but for the most part, you have to lead together. Great line from John Cooper. John Cooper was coaching Lansing Catholic Central. My first year at Huron was his last year at Lansing Catholic Central. He is now the two-time Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning coach. So our career is Dean diverged a little bit somehow. Uh, but he had a great line. He had a lot of great lines. But one of them is, bad teams, nobody leads. Good teams, coaches lead. Great teams, everybody leads. And you want that. If it's you versus your team, you versus your people, you're outnumbered, and you are going to lose. So I wanted, we had what, what, <clears throat> what we called layers of leadership. Yes, I was the head coach. I had great assistant coaches. Chapter four is titled, make sure you're the dumbest guy in the room. And I was, so I had that going for me. Uh, then we had captains, seniors, juniors, and sophomores. <clears throat> Only freshmen were clueless. And we had a joke in our team. We've got a name for those who lead by example. They're called sophomores. Because all that means is you can do your job and you know your job and you can do your job. As a junior, you know your job, do your job, and know everyone else's job too. And as a senior, you know your job, do your job, know everyone else's job, and help them do their jobs better. So you are now part of the leadership team as a senior, absolutely. You got a job and a half, basically. And that will take a much, much of the burden off you as the leader, because they're handling a lot of the stuff themselves. Uh, and you're all partners now in the same endeavor. You want that. Man, when we got to the playoff, it wasn't me versus them. It was us versus the world. And that is a phenomenal feeling. That feeling stays with you. You talk about feelings that stay with you. And I mentioned before hearing that those shots ring off the pipes still all these years later. And it made me want to bring up the testimonials because people should know that Let Them Lead isn't just you speaking about your experiences and your memories. And also it's a testament to your leadership and your coaching that these guys send you pages and pages of, of testimonials, of memories, of things that they that they took from your leadership that you probably had forgotten. So this isn't 224 pages of just top-down advice and do it my way. 
I wanted to ask you for an example of that. Was there an example that stuck with a player that you'd, you'd long forgotten or that you needed to be reminded of that helped them and that stuck with them long after they cleared out their locker that last time and hung up the skates for good? Yeah, a lot of them. Uh, this is unlike leadership books you commonly come across for a few reasons. One is we've also got a narrative story as a team, as there's, there's an arc to it, as the team gets better and the players develop and so on. So that by itself can be entertaining to read. And that'll be the part that we're trying to turn into a Hollywood movie because um, these guys are amazing. Uh, the business lessons, of course, are typical of, are, you know, are included in all leadership books. But my mistakes are in this book, which most leaders will not put in their books. So mine are in here, not all of them, but plenty of them. Um, and what the players, had, what the reactions were. I'm so grateful I wrote this 15 years after I quit coaching. These guys are now 35, 36, 37. They're leading themselves. They work in the Department of Homeland Security. They're a vice president of an engineering firm. Um, they're you know in law firms and so on. One guy is a general manager at Uber Freight. Uh, so they know what works and what doesn't, and they look back now and see, okay, that worked and that didn't. So I got a lot of great insights from these guys. Uh, one of them, for example, I had forgotten about. Um, second year, our captain, Chris Kunkel, uh, who's now a pharmacist in Maine and doing very well. Um, the, we, we had a good team that year, better than our first year. Um, but after a win against uh, a, a local team that we're probably supposed to beat, he and this, he called the seniors only meeting under the stands. And if you're paranoid, that'll drive you crazy, but you can't get paranoid. Let them do it. Um, they want to meet about something and then they agreed on what they're going to talk about. Then the senior captains came to talk to me and they said, we're, we're tired of hearing about last year's team and their great effort in team spirit. We're a new team. We have to have our own identity fair. Uh, and two, we're tired of driving across town to have our study table on Monday night at the high school. Let's have it here at the rink with pizza done. And a few other things in there, but if they got the guts to bring you their problems, Colin Powell had a great line on this. Uh, the day your people quit bringing you their problems is the day that you quit being their leader. We all have problems. We have a problem. What do you do? You think of, oh, I want to find the dumbest, most uh, powerless person I can talk to to help me out with this. No. <laughs> you think, you know, who's the smartest, most caring person who might make a difference in this, in this case? They've just given you three compliments if I bring you my problem. All right. I, I take you seriously. You're a helpful person. You have some power. So when they do that, stop what you're doing. It will not be convenient. I agree. I, I know that. Stop what you're doing and give them all the time you can, and they will never forget it. So their problems are your problems or else you're going to be bigger problems. So listen before you lead. You talk about success there and failure, and that's another part of Let Them Lead that stuck with me here. I'm, I'm not playing for you, and I things from this book, though, definitely will stick with me. And that's Something that may sound obvious, may sound like it's a cliche, but it's so easy to cast blame for failure and then soak up all the accolades when you win. And this is an historic turnaround. This is something great. But you say, flip that over. Give your team credit when they succeed. Don't don't take that for yourself. What's that balance? Because you're a human. You have, you have a little bit of an, of an ego there for yourself, as we all do. You know, I know yeah. I would be tempted to say, hey, I did this. I go to those four members who voted against you, including your friend, and give them the old Three Stooges pie in the face there. Hey, I'm the, I'm the winner now. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you decide in that moment, hey, I'm a coach. I'm not an individual. I'm not a guy. My ego is not what matters here. I'm going to give it all to the team. Uh, look, I mean, 
if you work that hard at something, yeah, you probably want some credit and you want people to know what you did. But here's the good news. If you're the captain, the division head, department head, et cetera, chairperson of a winning program, you're going to get a ton of credit anyway. John Cooper, one of my heroes, of course, at Tampa Bay, never, ever seeks it out. And it finds him anyway. Herb Brooks, we talked about him before. Al Michaels, great, great uh, announcement, of course. Do you believe in miracles? Everybody has seen that, whether you're a hockey fan or not. And find the picture, find the video of Herb Brooks celebrating with his team. He waited 20 years for that moment. He's the last guy cut a week before the Olympics in Squaw Valley, California in 1960. That team wins America's first gold medal in hockey. He's the last guy cut from that team. Yeah, he's bitter about it. He waits 20 years for this moment, works his tail off all those years. They do it. So what happens next? He looks up at the clock to make sure they actually won. Four to three. Time is zero, zero, zero. He goes like this, and then he looks at the players with great, I think, love and admiration and respect. His eyes are getting glassy. You can see how much he values them. And then he walks beneath the stands and finds a public locker room and cries in private. And my answer to that is if Herb Brooks can walk away, the architect of the greatest upset in the history of sports, any sport, any country, any era, if he can walk away from that, we can all walk away from our successes as well. Because he pointed out to me, he did not score a goal in 1960 when they won the gold medal. He didn't score one in 1980. And I didn't score a goal as a player, Dean, for 86 games. I didn't score one as a coach. Our joke was, on game nights, we wear shoes, not skates. It's got to be you guys. And if you forget that, they quit working for you. And don't worry, too much credit will find you anyway. But they did all these things. They're the story. And, I mean, again, the same players who were 0, 22, and 3 were all of a sudden 17, 4, and 5. That's pretty incredible. No, not one player quit. That's the incredible thing. Well, it's a testament to the story and the advice you give here in Let Them Lead. And I, I can't wait to see the own film. I, I don't know who's going to play you, but I I think Dolph Lundgren, maybe, you know, you can kind of similar. <laughs> he's a little too old, but you know, he can, he could play it off and do some makeup, de-aging technology. But I yes, is that the, those whoever plays me will be younger and better looking than i am i guarantee you that <laughs> oh that's right they got to play they got to play the young version of you but still wise you were young but still wise and you give those those lessons here and share some of that wisdom with us so i'm looking forward to the film i wanted to close with asking for you to put an eye on what today's generation of young people can learn from the past we've we've put all this pressure on young people now we've we've given them this title of millennials in a way we we never did with generations before where you you already have something that you are and you're judged right away when you walk in the door as having this and people expect you to know this and they often excuse bad behavior as you were saying well you can't teach them they're unteachable well again to bring up the animal analogy there's there's no there's no untrainable dog people like to let them run wild and say well I've tried it doesn't work well, you haven't done the water on the rock, as you said. You haven't worked at it. And that's doing a disservice to the to the dog here. So that's not an insult to young people. We all we all need that guidance. You cared enough to give these players that guidance and change their lives and let them lead. If people pick up and read the book, it can, it can change lives too. So why should someone pick up a copy of Let Them Lead, read it themselves if they're leading a team, or maybe take it and put it in the hands of young people. We have the holiday gift buying season coming up. You don't know what to get your kid. You don't know how to how to get your young person motivated. Maybe they've dropped out. They're facing struggles. Why should somebody pick up a copy of Let Them Lead for themselves and then also pick up one for a young person so they avoid that seductive allure of giving up and accepting a losing record in life? 
Great questions. Um, and by the way, your animal analogy, I've used it before myself. And it's not an insult to my players, nor to me. Look, I'm a dog too, and I'm trainable. But how do you train me? Consistent. You know, when I come in for something good, I get a biscuit. When I come in for something yes. bad, I get a little tap on the head. Okay? I, the dog figures it out in about two weeks, right? So we can yeah. too. You got to be consistent right away. You don't try to ease the dog into, into house training. All right? You do it day one. I mean, it's, it starts right away. And that's how humans function as well. So uh, how to do it? First of all, the complaints... Here's one for you I heard recently that uh, today's youth are lost. They do not show respect for their elders. They don't stand up when you walk into a room and they're more interested in luxury than hard work. And if that sounds familiar, it comes from Socrates more than 2000 years ago. So this is not a new problem, people. Every young generation is lazy, stupid, selfish, blah, blah, blah. It's always been true, including mine, by the way. So there we go. Um, if that's the case, we're probably leading them poorly. The great advantage, the disadvantage of this generation is the things that motivated us, Dean, power and prestige and paychecks really don't work on these guys. But if you give them a sense of mission and purpose and belonging and you let them lead, they're part of the leadership team, not just being told to, uh, they will do far more than you ever imagined. And I've seen it both coaching as well as teaching at the University of Michigan. The same principles work just fine there. I've had 2,000 students over the last 15 years. They do two papers per semester, so there's 4,000 papers. Five have been late, and four of them within five minutes. Doesn't matter, you still get enough. Um, so, and, and four of those guys stayed in the class. So that's what's possible when you lead these guys the right way, in my opinion. Uh, respect them. And I don't get into politics as a rule. My politics tend to be stubborn independent anyway. But George W. Bush had a great line about this, the soft racism of low expectations. And that's true of this generation as well. Um, if you if I if you give me low expectations, that is the ultimate disrespect. And Tom Izzo, a friend of mine who's the Michigan State basketball coach, his mentor told him that discipline is a form of love. And as he said, my players get a lot of love. So that's how it's received. And you already know, I already I always ask everybody in my speeches, who was your favorite teacher? And everybody in the world, in Vancouver or Sao Paulo, Brazil, or Santiago, Chile, I've asked a question in English, Portuguese, or Espanol. And the question, the answer always comes back the same. It could be third grade teacher, college teacher, it could be math or science, or, and it could be a loud talker like me or a quiet person. It makes no difference. All right? They were never, ever the easy teacher, ever. I've asked the question hundreds of times. Not once has your favorite teacher been the easy one, but they cared about you. And I was talking to somebody on the radio about an NHL coach, and they said, oh, you have to balance those two things. No, you don't balance them. I care about you 100% and I'm gonna push you 100%. The more you care about them, the more you can push. If I care about you and I don't push, you're a welcome mat and I need some of those, those in my academic schedule, but I'm not gonna remember you. If you push me, but you don't care about me, we've had those bosses, they're jerks. I'm gonna remember you, but I will not like you. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna work that hard for you really. Uh, I gotta care about you and push you. That's the hard part. That's the whole thing boiled down. Well. Coach Bacon, thank you so much for sharing. Let them lead with me today. You may have been the worst player ever to sharpen the skates for the River Rats, but you clearly are the best coach. And because you, you had a good team, I know you don't want to take the praise, but I'll give you a little bit. Of, that's my job here to give you that credit. 
Thanks so much for sharing this with me today. I hope everybody listening and watching enjoy it. Best of luck with Let Them Lead. Looking forward to the movie and also for young people out there who may be looking for a little spark in life. If you know one, pick this up for them. He's done so much for these young people on his team, and I just can't recommend this book strongly enough. Great book. And gosh, if you love hockey, I have that Miracle on Ice upstairs with a ticket hanging on the wall, a picture of those guys celebrating. If you want a taste of what victory feels like when everybody is against you, pick up Let Them Lead. Thanks so much, Coach. Hey, thank you so much. Again, the book is Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team. As always, you can find the Amazon link to purchase your copy and that copy for a young person in need of a little coaching at the historyauthor.com page for this episode. Every time you buy a book through us, you're helping to keep the flux capacitor on our Zamboni turn time machine humming like usual. My thanks to Coach Bacon for joining us today and for sharing the lessons on the ice that do what history does best, provide lessons from yesterday that show us how to live better tomorrows. Visit John U. Bacon at LetThemLeadByBacon.com or find him on Twitter and Facebook. Plus, you can check out our YouTube channel where you can subscribe to watch future conversations and also get my interview with John U. Bacon about his book, The Great Halifax Explosion, which if you are watching via that YouTube channel, you can see right behind me on the shelf. It has a place of honor on my shelf. And if you enjoy history, you want to get a little World War I flavor, learn about how the U.S. and Canada became such close allies that were able to have this international sports league called the NHL. You'll get that out of this book. This is where we go from being people warily looking at each other across the parallel to really being allies. So that is a great book. Again, The Great Halifax Explosion. Pick up that one. Pick up Let Them Lead. Anybody you give it to as a gift this time of year will love it, and you'll enjoy it too. That's it for this installment of the History Author Show. I hope you'll join us for our next all-new interview right here on iHeartRadio or wherever you enjoyed this journey into yesterday. Until that next trip into the past together, thanks so much for joining us today. And on behalf of Coach Bacon, have a great week. We still call it Broadway, but what's in a name? Take it from Georgie, it isn't the same. On the east side, west side, things ain't like before. There are tears in the eyes of the regular guys. Oh, New York ain't New York anymore.